The Old Testament reading for this, the fourth Sunday in Advent, which serves as the text for our sermon this morning, comes from the second book of Samuel, the seventh chapter. Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place, and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly, from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. This is the word of the Lord. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming to you. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The epistle reading comes from Paul's letter to the church in Rome, the 16th chapter. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has, made known, has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith, to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel comes according to St. Luke, the first chapter. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. 
and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And this is the gospel of our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The angel Gabriel came to Mary, and he came with some astounding news. He told her that she would be the mother of the Messiah, the promised Savior for whom God's people had waited for thousands of years, would be her firstborn son. Now upon hearing this news, imagine how Mary could have responded. Had she been self-centered, egotistical, and arrogant, she could well have said, Oh, I get it. God needs me to do this, huh? God can't figure out how to get his Messiah here, so I've got to do it for him. Well, I always knew I was destined for great things. I'll do it, but you owe me one, God. Now, thanks be to God, that's not how she reacted. Instead, in faith and humility, she responded to Gabriel, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She didn't assume that she was anyone special. She didn't even really assume that she and she alone was up for the task. Instead, she understood that it was God who was doing it all. She was honored, to be sure. But in faith, she knew that this was not something that she had earned, was not something that she deserved, not even something that she was going to be doing the heavy lifting on. It wasn't so much a question of what she could do for God, but what God was going to do through her. Now, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could live our lives with that same kind of humble faith and service? Now, sadly, our sinful hearts oftentimes don't think that way. We like to think about all the ways that we can help God. We tend to think of church as something that we do for God. We come together to worship Him. We come to give Him our gifts of song and praise. We gather together to sing out His praises, and by golly, He should be glad we're here, because we're going to be coming back again tonight already. We think of stewardship as our helping God further His kingdom, using our hard-earned money to help the church do what needs to be done, that we are giving to God, and without our help, obviously he can't do it. We even start to think of Christmas as something that we do for God, because we have the opportunity to use the songs and the sails and the season to better share God's message of joy with others, and we turn it around to be about us. 
Now, it's not that we shouldn't strive to do things that are good in Christian. It's not that we shouldn't give to God. We are called to do these things. But not because God needs us to. In truth, it is God who does everything through us and God who does everything for us. When King David wanted to build the temple in our Old Testament reading today, the prophet Nathan just kind of rubber-stamped it, didn't even check with God. Of course you should do that. That's a great idea because it seemed like a very good idea. The ark was still in a tent, in a temporary tabernacle, and God deserves something far better than that. And so David had the idea, I should build a temple. Nathan said, that's great, you should build a temple. But then God corrected them. Through Nathan, God came to David and said, okay, here's the deal. I don't need you to build me a house. I am. I am the creator of all things. I am the one who freed Israel from Egypt. I am the one who drove out all the nations as Israel reclaimed the promised land. All those years, God says, I never demanded a house because I have dwelt with my people wherever they are. And then he goes on. He says, but here's what I'm going to do. Instead of you building a house for me, I will instead build you and your offspring into an everlasting house as I dwell with you, as I come to my people through the promised Messiah who will come from your line and who will reign for all eternity. It's not that God was mad that David wanted to build a temple. He just clarifies that God doesn't need a temple. David wasn't going to do something that God needed and couldn't do for himself. But for David, God did indeed give what was needed and what David couldn't do for himself. You know, I'm reminded of Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. David did indeed gather up the supplies and drew up the plans so that the temple could be built by his son Solomon. And Solomon did indeed build that house, and God approved of it. And it was a grand temple, a glorious building that struck people with its awesome construction, its majestic grandeur, its beauty, and its splendor. And it was destroyed utterly a few hundred years later, when Babylon conquered Jerusalem. Not one stone was left atop another. Not one remnant of that temple is still around. The house that David wanted to build for God, it was impressive, but it did not last. But the house that God built for David, that has lasted far longer, and it will last for all eternity. Not that the Davidic line is still ruling a nation somewhere here on earth. But through the line of David came the King of Kings, the promised Messiah, Jesus the Christ. Of his kingdom there is no end. And over his house he rules forever and ever.
Christmas isn't about what we can do for God. It's about what he can do for us and what he has done for us. It is a joy for us to gather together as many times as possible because here is where we receive gifts from God. God came to us in the flesh because as sinners, we couldn't come to him and we didn't want to. We were dead in our sin. We despised and feared and hated God. And so he came to us. He walked this earth and obeyed God's law perfectly because we couldn't do it. And so instead, he did it for us. He offered himself as a sacrifice in our place to pay the penalty of our sins that we could never pay ourselves even though he had never once committed one sin in thought or word or deed. And as God the Father turned his back on God the Son, he suffered the pains of hell so that we wouldn't suffer such pain for all eternity. We couldn't do it. And so God did it all for us. He died so that by his blood we could be cleansed of our sin, restored as God's beloved children, made right with God where we had made things very, very wrong. And then Jesus Christ rose again from the dead so that we too can rise from the grave. United with him, and by baptism into his death and his resurrection, living with him in paradise for all eternity. It's not about what we do for God. It's about what God does for us. And all of this he did as a free gift because there is nothing that we could hope to offer in return. The price that God paid, it is simply too high for us to even comprehend it, much less hope to repay it. The love that he had for us, it is so mind-bogglingly deep that we could never love him in the same way. The blessings and gifts that he has bestowed upon us, they are so bountiful that we could never hope to give him anything that he hasn't first given to us. And yet... As our loving Heavenly Father, God does love to receive the gifts that we return to Him. Today and tomorrow, my family will sit down near the Christmas tree and we are going to open up the gifts that we've given to each other. And I'll be honest, I've peeked under the tree. I know there's at least a few with my name on them. (laughs) Now the fact is, I don't need my kids to buy me gifts. If there's something I want, I am perfectly able to go to the store and buy it myself. In fact, I am more able because I can drive. (laughs) I also know that I have provided them with the money to get most of these gifts. (laughs) Now, does that mean that I don't want them? Or does it mean that I don't appreciate getting them? Absolutely not. I love to open that gift and know what's behind it. The thought, the appreciation, the preparation, the joy. It doesn't matter that I could have bought it myself or that in a way I kind of already did. It matters that my family gave me that gift in love. So too with our Heavenly Father. All that we have is from Him. 
And so anything that we give to God, it was already his to start with. But God loves us so much that he still rejoices to receive our gifts of thanksgiving and praise. He doesn't need it. Our giving it doesn't make him more or less God. But when we look to him in love and faith, even though our paltry tithes and occasional thanksgivings come nowhere close to ever repaying him for all that he's done, he welcomes them and he rejoices when we bring them to him. Christmas isn't about what we can do for God. It's about what he has done for us as he came to us to save us from sin, death, and the devil. Our attempts at stewardship, they aren't about what we can give to God, but about how God has given us everything we have, and it is our joy to use it all responsibly and to his glory. And even church, it isn't about what we can give to God, but rather that God comes to us week after week after week to give us his word, his body and blood, his blessed forgiveness, his strength to carry on throughout the entire week. That's how good our Heavenly Father is. That's why we celebrate at Christmas and at Easter and every single day of the year. That's why we as Christians seek to be in his holy house as often as possible. Why we rejoice at the opportunities to serve God and return thanks to him. Not because he needs them, or because we're able to pay him back or earn anything from him. We do these things because we know that he has given us everything. All that we own, all our earthly blessings, our family and friends, our health and our welfare, our safety and security, absolutely everything comes from God. But even more than those, God has given us spiritual blessings, eternal blessings, things that we could never even dream of earning for ourselves. He has come to us in the flesh. He has suffered and died in our place. He has risen again from the grave to give us the guarantee of everlasting life in heaven with him. God has done it all, even though we really can't do anything at all for him in return. And yet, he has given us absolutely everything. All that we have in this world came from his gracious and generous hand. And far more than that, all that we have for all eternity is simply a free gift from God, delivered to us through his miraculous birth on that first Christmas morning. And by his humble manger, by his bloody cross, by his empty tomb, you are forgiven of every one of your sins, and eternal life in heaven is yours. Thanks be to God. Amen.